Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. For today's episode, we've lined up something really interesting. It's, it's something we get asked about all the time. And lots of our podcasts recently have touched on this in, uh, in a small extent. But we thought we'd get in a real expert uh, to talk to us about what's happening around the grid and all the challenges to do with um, adapting the grid um, as we make more and more electric vehicles on the road and more and more um, renewable energy into the system. So we've got with us today Russell Fowler. Um, he comes from the National Grid Company in the UK, so like literally the people who are responsible for this. And he's a pro- project manager uh, responsible for decarbonisation within the National Grid. So uh, thanks for joining us, Russell. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Re- really happy to be here and really keen to talk about um, what you say here, just just if, if people are interested briefly in me. So, yeah, I, I work for National Grid. You don't know the company. You've probably heard of the National Grid. <laughs> um, so basically what that, they're interchangeable terms. So don't worry too much about it. So it's basically think about it as I, I'm going to use a transport analogy. Think about it as like the motorways of the electricity system. So the high voltage system, if you like. So taking the power from power stations and then taking it into the kind of the lower voltage or like the, the B roads, if you like, and then taking it to your, to your home. So National Grid doesn't take electricity to your home. We don't buy and sell electricity. We don't own power stations. We merely transfer it from power stations to the local grid and then to, to people's homes. So kind of a crucial step there. So we are in gas and electricity. So we have the same role in both there uh, as okay. well. So um, on me, so I, I've been looking at decarbonisation transport for officially as, as a full-time job if you like for around a year but i have been looking at uh, kind of future energy scenarios for a kind of about all five six years before that for looking at projections of electric vehicles and other forms of of transport to see what effect they're going to have on the grid so right. it's something we've been thinking about at national grid for a very long time so it's uh, yeah it, it's important that you have that point so you can build that into the um your systems and, and and what's a little bit about your sort of personal background where where you know how did you get into working for the national <laughs> what's your journey you know how did you get to do what, that? what's my journey that that's a that's a good question um so i after university like like a lot of people i think i need to find a job here uh, yeah. my background is mathematics so i was looking for something that was going to kind of use those skills and like a lot of people i applied for for a lot of jobs i ended up working um for a retail uh, electricity retail Okay. Um, business and I was doing short-term forecasting so how much electricity are we going to use the next day how much are we going to use the day after so that was really time at the cold face if you like uh, I, I kind of relatively quickly found out actually that's really interesting but I came really interested in the bits of behind that so well what drove that so I kind of became a little bit more interested in the the, the fundamentals and the, and the strategy and, and the long-term trends that sat behind the energy market so I kind of moved out of the real the short-term business kind of into the long-term business so um eventually kind of ended up at at national grid and say looking at those long-term energy forecasts so what is going to happen not over tomorrow but what's going to happen over the next 10 years the next 20 years and that was really of interest to me so 
what is going to change in the power session. You talked about renewables there. So are we going to get to a point where we have a 100% renewable system? When are we going to see electric cars, nothing but electric cars on the road and other bits like that? And then what's the so what of that? What does that mean for the electricity grid? What's going to have to happen and what's going to need to happen for power and what's going to happen for networks and what's going to happen for people? So how are everyone going to change that? So it became kind of really interested in this. Then the opportunity to focus on transport came along, and it was absolutely, from my point of view, kind of no-brainer to, uh-huh. uh, to 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 go into this area and try and try and drive the uptake of, of electric vehicles. That's fantastic! I can officially say you are the first mathematician that we've ever had well, on the podcast. I, I, yeah. I'm on it. <laughs> yeah, so you got to fly the flag for that. So we a lot of a lot of people know I'm I'm uh, as well as Avid and the podcast and things. I'm completely passionate about STEM, but we often have absolutely. you know the S, the T, and the E. But uh, finally, the M made the wow. <laughs> yeah, full house. <laughs> so brilliant! There we go. That's that's fantastic. Great. <laughs> and and uh, you, you you told us a bit about um, what National Grid is. So the sort of the, the the backbone infrastructure. I guess the the UK has got that kind of arrangement where, mm-hmm. but it's it's not uncommon, is it? A lot of countries are organised in a similar way. Yeah, uh, so the way the electricity systems have just naturally developed, you, you, you often have this, you have what's called transmission that sits at the top and then distribution at the bottom. So that's that voltage shift. And so you're moving electricity over a relatively large distance, which a lot of countries will do. It makes sense to just of the, the physics of this. Again, I, I, I'm not an E part of it, I'm, I'm the M part of it, but it's, it, it's the most efficient way to move energy. And then you kind of step it down into your local area. So you'll see lots of grids around this. In Europe, you'll see this, you'll see transmission and distribution. You'll see that in the US. They don't have a whole grid. They, the country's far too large for that. So they have lots of separate grids as well. So it's a, it's a very common way to set up quite who owns and then who owns what. And precisely the, the, the politics, if you like, in between are slightly different and slightly uh, different countries, but the basic setup, the basic principle, is the same in kind of whatever country you look at. Yeah. Okay. And you guess you have to work kind of closely with government and with because because the power, the energy generators are separate to, and then you've, you've yes. got yes. So there's a lot of stakeholders yeah, that, on your um, in, involved. Yeah, though that's a good. But as I say, we are only interested and can legally by um because we're, we're heavily regulated because we're a monopoly there's only one transmission system so yeah. we can't be involved in selling it we can't be involved in generating it so absolutely right so there's upstream stakeholders and there's downstream stakeholders as well and of course government government sets the policy as well and everyone responds uh, to the policy setting as well and of course there's a regulator as well off gem so people know off gem from uh keeping people's energy bills low they also regulate the whole market as well so they make sure that we're charging a fair price for what we do and we're um, and, and doing everything uh, legally and above board as we should do as well. So there are absolutely a, load, a huge range of stakeholders there that we have to get involved with. And of course, transport now is a new body of stakeholders and we're, we're starting yeah. to engage with as well. Yeah, yeah, all these pesky electric vehicles that are uh, starting to come on. <laughs> Indeed. So, so the, really the, 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 the sort of theme for this podcast uh, started out with, you know, we, we get asked a lot about about grid and and people kind of raise this objection of oh you know if if electric cars if everyone's driving an electric vehicle the the grid's going to collapse and we need to do lots of uh, stuff um and and you know in in fairness we do also sometimes see it as well where um we've been involved in some larger programs to deploy things like commercial vehicles and there, there often are challenges to do with the grid so i just it's obviously a big topic um but one that you're very deeply involved in 
I just wondered if you could start to talk us through it in terms of what the what the key challenges are, what the strategy is, you know, what what's the what's the plan in terms of the 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 grid side um, to to, yeah. to sort of adapt to this new um, electrified world that we've got coming. Yeah, and absolutely, we hear, we hear the same same things as well. Uh, so, was a few few couple of points to get in there? People say. Oh, when everyone comes to electric vehicles, you'll you'll have issues or problems. Yeah. The, the one thing I always kind of point out is that that that's going to be a process. It's suddenly we're not you're not going to wake up tomorrow and electric cars, much as we'd love that, electric cars not going to appear outside of everybody's house. So, yeah. one of the key elements, and I talked about what I looked at before, was kind of planning. So, can we see an uptake? So, what are we expecting that trajectory and that uptake to look like? So, having a good indication of when electric vehicles are going to come onto the system is absolutely crucial. And that, as you know, planning that that that's going to be key. Yeah. And that looks a little bit into what you talked about, kind of government. So, what is government policy? So, government policy can really drive this, or you can look at the kind of market. Where is the technology going? So, um, colleagues of mine in National Grid and other people across the industry will look at this and say, so the first thing, you've got this uptake of, a, of electric vehicles as well. So if you've got a good indication of where that uptake is, then you can kind of feed that into the kind of next layer. So um, other colleagues of mine, will, will they're, they're far brighter again, and they're on the E part of the stem that we talked about there. They yeah. know what the grid looks like. So they know if you put lots of electric vehicles here, their models will say, actually, you need to do something here. So if I want to put a lot of electric vehicles, say in a town in 2025 and 2030, you will need to do this. So there's a kind of really robust planning process that sits behind it, and it's looking kind of 10 years ahead. Okay. So that's the kind of timeframes that you're looking at here. And electric vehicles have been in uh, the forecast as long as I've been working for National Grid. So people have been pr- forecasting the uptake of electric vehicles for years and years and years. So that, yeah. that's the first thing to say. It's crucial you plan because you need to know when these things are happening. You need to know um, what to do. Um, on that what to do part, there's there's a few things that touch on. So it's different on kind of different parts of the grid. So I mentioned we're the, that element that takes it from power stations to the local grid. So if you go down into the local grid in your house, if you have an electric vehicle in your house, you can probably plug that in. And if you get a charge point installed, the charge point installer will do it. They should tell the local network operator that they've put an electric vehicle in your road and they'll note that. And that kind of comes part of their planning process. So yeah. again, it's the same, same as the national picture and you can just kind of zoom that down. So you can say, Actually, locally, if we see an uptake of electric vehicles in a particular area, you're going to have to do some work to upgrade particular areas. Now, that depends exactly on where you're going to be. As you can imagine, some parts of the grid, you could take lots of electric vehicles. Other ones are just maybe a little bit tighter on demand because of other things. So remember, it's not just electric vehicles that use electricity. If you build a house, open a business, whatever you put into your house if you just use a lot more electricity so electric vehicles aren't some special class of electricity use so you've got to combine <laughs> that all together so when you're looking at forecasts you've got to you've got to combine everything together as well and you've got to balance these things out so you've got things that are pushing demand up electric vehicles maybe if you look at the heat pump as well and then things that are going to pull it down so are you seeing more energy efficiency that's yeah. just stuff from light bulbs as well just to more energy efficient homes as well so you've got to balance the whole thing out so again you've got that kind of real local planning as well and that will create time where you will need to do some work. So I, I think everyone's probably appreciative. You, you can't electrify all of transport and then kind of not have any upgrades to the grid. That would be a hugely impressive piece of work if you could. But there will be some pieces of work that, that will need to be done, some locally. And then as you as you go up, you kind of push that demand up, if you like, and say maybe there's some bigger upgrades go on. But it's 
kind of crucial to planning and, and where this is going. So okay. it's crucial that we know where that uptake is and offer a local level that you have that visibility in. So if charge points installed, that people go through that right process just to inform company so you know where that demand is going to be. So there's processes and, and, and bits and pieces in yeah. in place for that. Um, in terms of the the other side of it, so that's the more local saying, well, what, what if you want these kind of the big charging hubs? So what if you want lots of electric vehicles in one place all kind of charging rapidly? So on motorway service areas, for example. So this gets your local. We know most people want to charge at home if they can. There are some people that can't. And there's also that category of people that want to go on those long journeys. You mainly do it once, twice a year. But I want to be able to drive my EV from London to Scotland. I don't want to go all crikey, where am I going to do Beforehand, I get my petrol car. I could drive to Scotland. I didn't think, oh my, is there going to be a petrol station on the way? I just knew there was going to be one. I didn't know precisely where. I didn't know who 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 was going to be, but I knew there was going to be one there. So yeah. it's about kind of getting that level of confidence up there. And this becomes a slightly different. So what you're talking about is kind of ultra rapid charging. So we're talking 150 kilowatts at the moment, maybe moving up to kind of 350 kilowatts yeah. when they're available. And you're talking potentially dozens of these all out together so suddenly that becomes quite a substantial demand of power when you compare that to the home yeah. you've got quite a lot there so this is a slightly different planning so you kind of you, you've moved to the next notch of planning up yeah yeah five uh, or ten like. megawatts for a um a big charge hub would not be that unusual really if it was sort of 10 or 12 uh high capacity chargers megawatts megawatts which yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And once you kind of get larger to that because if, if you are looking ahead into the future and you look into other forms of, of transport as well so we talk about cars vans trucks is suddenly you can see these hubs getting quite big yeah. quite quickly and the one thing that kind of underpins the energy network is kind of being economic and efficient so yeah. if you're going to upgrade the grid you, you kind of want to do it as infrequently as you can so if you go back to your house analogy quickly what you don't want to do is say if you put an electric vehicle in you don't want someone to come and dig up your road and do it and then when your neighbor does it, you don't want that to happen again. And then when you hit what a heat pump, you don't want someone to come in again. So yeah. it, it, it's what they call kind of touching the network once. So again, this goes back into the planning of knowing what's going in. So basically, you can imagine you scaling that up. So you can you then say, okay, we've got large ones here. We're going to see these people applying through a process to need a connection to what could potentially be to the national grid. So actually now connecting to the larger transmission system because the demand that they have is is so large you can do it to the local network as well again it depends on what the local situation is so that is a little bit more of a, a longer process to get these connections it takes a, a couple of years maybe so that's where yeah. again you need to have thinking in advance where these things will going to be so I, I think about this to, to make sure that you want to get it is making sure that the planning is in there and knowing about these things in advance and kind of looking to future proofies as well there's no good just looking at a couple of years ahead because you're, you'll never be able to catch up with demand for electric vehicles and and how much of that do you think is is currently um well that's not, not even what you think you because you're doing it so how much <laughs> of that is is happening today you know if if is there a, a sort of plan at um at national grid that says actually you know next year we're going to have to deal with this amount of capacity for evs and then the year after and by 2030 it's going to be a lot and, and all that it is that is that live in now inside national grid yeah, so absolutely. So um, back to that kind of that rapid charging point, that, that is something we, we're kind of actively looking at at the moment. Um, you may be familiar with the government's uh, OLEV, so the Office of Low Emissions Vehicles, yeah. uh, Project Rapid. Okay. So this is looking to do that very thing, to put in 
rapid charges at motorway service areas. So that's something we actively look at at the moment, trying to work out what the kind of optimal connection solutions are to make sure we can deliver them in, 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 a, in a timely manner. So they are looking to get these started by 2023. So 2023 sounds a long time away, but the, the timeframes you need to do energy, significant energy infrastructure, it is, is a couple of years you're looking at. So you need to start thinking about that process now. And those sites, there's around 70 or so of those across the, the, the motorway network. So you multiply that up across, there's lots of pieces of work um, going on there as well. I can't talk for them, but for the, for the distribution companies, there's lots of local work going on so either more more kind of local local charging hubs if you like and also looking at that what needs to be done literally in your street there so that work is kind of ongoing so if you ever see an electric uh, vehicle uh, van parked at the end of the road digging up the road they may be kind of reinforcing the local area so it can take uh, increased demand as well so that that is kind of what's going on the moment. and that's kind of part of the standard process as i mentioned once you have an electric vehicle as exciting it is, if you strip it away, it is a demand for electricity. So that goes into your kind of standard process and you say, demand's going to increase here. This will then cause a reinforcement to need to be built here or a new substation to be built here. And that's where it then gets into the kind of standard electricity yeah. um, piece of work, if that makes sense. And the electric vehicle element kind of gets lost and then gets put back on at the end there. But say most active is looking at this kind of rapid charging at motorway surface area. So that is something that is new and is kind of being actively looked at at the moment to be delivered by um, Southern. So get your first charges in for around 2023. Yeah. And, and would it be the same thing for um, like truck distribution type operations where you've got a lot of trucks or a lot of buses? Uh, if you're trying to run a lot of buses out of one place? Kind of yeah, thing. I mean, uh, you can you can take you can take that model and and you can you can kind of put it up um, to to the next level. When you look at trucks, there's not quite the equivalent of home chargers. I don't I don't think truckers take their trucks home and top them in front of their cars. But no, th 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 there's kind of depot and there's kind of then fleet, isn't it? So yeah. you've got where is your truck spending most of its time, and does it need to then just have a maybe a, a slower charger? So if it's parked up overnight. Can you maybe have a, a like a trickle charge for it as well, so it's ready to go in the morning? Yeah. Or are there other opportunities where actually it's just parked there for half an hour while it unloads, or half an hour while the driver's on a break and then needs to move on? So yeah. this is when you need the rapid chargers. And technology is a little bit um, behind where it is for EVs as well there, but the yeah. kind of charges you'd be looking at there would be kind of around one megawatt. And if you do the calculation yeah, huge, that we did yeah. earlier, yeah. suddenly you get. Yeah. significant areas of demand so absolutely planning in that is required and if you can tie them in with electric vehicles as well then you kind of get this back to the touch the grid once kind of point as well so if we can see where that demand's coming from then you could build in kind of networks to kind of future proof you not only for cars but potentially for for, for trucks as well but of course there's a little bit of uncertainty on trucks about exactly what kind of pathway um, they're going to down to could be yeah. hydrogen could be electricity as well how are you going to get that hydrogen? Are you producing it locally from electrolysis? So you actually still need electricity or are you shipping it in from... So there's lots of kind of options there. So there's a little bit more uncertainty in that truck world, but absolutely you, you can use the same model there and the same process would apply for other, other forms of transport, no problem. Because you, you could then see... Um, so things like motorway services, which at the moment probably don't have a very big demand for power because it's sort of lights mm -hmm. and cooking equipment and sort of HVAC and stuff. Like all of a sudden, they're going to become quite concentrated power consumers with yes, mega, yes. mega, megawatts. You know, because they're like, let's say you want to put five fast charges for trucks in, and you know, thirty for cars. That's going to be a huge grid demand, but in somewhere that was never really, um, you know, 
I don't think I don't think when the motorway services stations were being built in the sixties or whatever, it was being thought about in that way. So I, I certainly don't think so. No, and and that that's kind of part where um, the the government comes in and 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 helps there. So you're absolutely right. So the, these t- tend to be quite isolated. They're beside the motorway service stations. There's generally not much around them as well. And you're right. The connections they have at the moment are relatively small. They just um, they can do lights and they can do cooking as you suggested there. so yeah. if you want to get substantial upgrades there you need to get substantial amount of of power into that and, and it, in, infrastructure costs money and it costs investment there so yeah. you have a little bit of um, a kind of chicken and egg situation if that's the way to describe it so if if you own that site saying are you going to put motor uh, charges into your motorway service area you'll look at your studies and say well two percent of traffic is electric vehicles at the moment I'm never going to make my money back on that investment. So maybe I'll maybe I'll put one or two in. And when you look at motorway service areas, you'll probably see one or two charges around. Some have a few more. So he's thinking, well, how's that going to help the uptake of electric vehicles? If people don't see charges when they go out on these long journeys, they're going to go, well, I, I'm not sure if I can commit to an EV. Maybe driving around locally is fine. So how do you kind of break that cycle? And, and this is what Project Rapid is to look to. So the other part of it is it comes with funding as well. So funding is to kind of break that cycle and say, actually, you can invest in that connection ahead of the need. So ahead of the electric vehicles, yeah. you can put in your charging infrastructure. So you have that there ready to go. So you build all your charges. They're ready to go. People turn up. The handful of EV people, relatively speaking, that turn up go, brilliant, these new charges have yeah. appeared. And they get to use it. Enough people go, oh, I see them. <laughs> and then because you future-proof the capacity, you can add a couple more charges on extra year as your expansion comes along because you know you've got that capacity there because you've put that investment up front and then you start to recoup the money from that investment for uh, mm-hmm. for, for, for using the charges, a bit like you would do any other investment there. So it's something that kind of breaks that kind of vicious cycle if you want and that's where the government can kind of step in and kind of stimulate mm-hmm. the market. And we see this with new technology all the time. You have the EV grant, you have the plug-in grant, Again, for your renewables, you have support for that. So it's kind of relatively common for kind of okay. uh, starting new technology to, to get support like that. So Pro- Project Rapid is a government-funded, government government-supported project to, to where you guys are all kind of working together to try and put more rapid charges in. Uh, yes. Okay, I'll try and find, um, I'll find some links to that and uh, I'll, I'll put something in the show notes about it if people are, if people are interested in finding out more about that, um, about that project. So, so... Would it be fair to say that um, from from your point of view, this is is kind of the planning planning for all these different scenarios and working out what capacity upgrades need to be done and everything. That's kind of it. It sounds like it's that's just business as usual. This is you guys just going about your yep. job. Yep. No one's kind of going ah. What do we do? It's, it's, it's a very calm workplace. No, I don't think I've ever seen anybody. Um, <laughs> Do, do do that as well so i, I think i think the way it, in terms of that you can the way sometimes it gets framed when people talk about it is you move to your kind of extreme scenario yeah what if everyone had an electric car what if everyone had an electric car tomorrow and then they will plug them in and say all these kind of things you're you're suddenly framing it as an absolute i wouldn't even say worst case scenario because that's that's an incredible scenario that would that would would never happen we know from our experience of kind of electricity demand there's natural diversification so when when people come in uh, come home from work or getting from school or whenever there's a different things that you do you may eat straight away you may put television you may do whatever you want to do so you have that kind of diversity of demand that smooths it down so you could equally replace the argument what if everyone comes home and plugs a rev you could say what if everyone comes home and turns their oven on 
Yeah. They don't, we know they don't do that because from experience that, <laughs> and from the experience of the trials that you have, you know, you, people don't do that with electric yeah. vehicles as well. You could say, okay, the demand's higher. So you, you may have some, some issues there, but people generally will respond to signals as well. And people that sit between the, the electric vehicles and us, the kind of retailers, have kind of worked this out. There's an opportunity here to kind of encourage people to shift their demand. Yeah. It's of their benefit to get people to use electricity when it's cheap, traditionally overnight. You've had that for years, things like Economy 7, that trying to encourage demand to move at night. So yeah. if you can move electric vehicle charging at night, or maybe looking a little bit more forward, maybe aligning it with, say, when it's windy or when it's sunny, that makes perfect sense. And you don't really even have to do anything because this will just be for an app, right? You, you, you'll set it up for the app and that will set where you want to charge your vehicle as well. Yeah. As long as you say, I just want it fully charged in the morning, how and when you do it, I'm, I'm not, not really fussed as well. And actually it'll help reduce your energy bill as well because it's going to find energy when, it, when it's cheapest as well. So suddenly you've got this idea of trying to spread out the demand, trying to smooth it down onto the system as well. And the way the market works, everyone's motivated to do that. So it kind of makes sense to anyone. So there's everyone is in, everyone should be kind of motivated to shift away from that, that peak time as well. And, and, and that's what you're, you're seeing with kind of those innovative EV tariffs on the market at the moment. Yeah, so that, and that's something that is already, um, electricity suppliers are already doing, isn't it, with this dynamic um, pricing? Yes. I think there's one or two, possibly two companies out there. Um, even with negative pricing, I've seen that. So you're basically getting paid to charge, to soak power off the grid at some times. Yes, uh, yeah, that's quite amazing, isn't it? Getting paid, <laughs> paid to use electricity as well. So it, it just goes to show that, yeah, if, if you can move your demand there, uh, and there's excess and these things will continue as you get more and more renewables onto the system those periods where th those prices go very low yeah. there will be more of them as well so they kind of keep pace with the number of electric vehicles on the market as well and is, is that a, you know that at the moment our demand for electricity is is pretty lumpy isn't it you know it's it's sort of this sort of peak peak periods through the day and the difference between a peak demand uh, time and a low and off you know low demand time it's a huge gap isn't it right now do you see yep. much you know in that in terms of trying to, mm. to sort of make make that demand more consistent or is the whole thing actually does it work better if there is a bigger gap <laughs> you know how, how does that um, work again not quite my area but I, I think if you're managing the system the easiest thing would be to have a constant flat demand and then you could you 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 you'd build your power stations to meet that flat demand as well so you, you kind of do want to minimize between peaks and troughs but if you kind of flip that the other way the reason you have that demand right there is because that's how people kind of want to live their lives they, yeah. they kind of tend to be asleep at night and demand is low and they tend to be doing lots of different things at peak time so that's why you have the peak there as well so at the moment, with what you do at the moment, it's very difficult to kind of shift that around. You can try and motivate people there, but people tend, if you've got children, you kind of tend to need to, to need to feed them. I know from experience at, at about the same time, if you say, no, no, kids, we've got to eat at 11 o'clock to try and flatten out the electricity demand, yeah. that's not going to fit there. But suddenly if you put electric vehicles in there, that, that becomes a bit different, yeah? You, you just need that vehicle to be charged and ready to go in the morning. Are you really fussed when, when it charges up? So suddenly when you add that kind of extra flexible demand in there suddenly you can see that so you can see that nighttime period starting to fill up and potentially even you could see that peak coming down so some people will even talk about vehicle to grid so if, yeah. if you are very keen you can have your uh your your, your battery going the other way 
which is good. Of course, you'd be compensated for that because you're helping balance the system and supply energy yeah. there. So you could even see that situation where you have that peak and that trough difference really working out. And you put on top of that kind of the intelligence looking at what renewables are doing, then you see your demand pattern fitting the wind profile or the solar profile as well. So electric vehicles can only really help with that. I was, so my next question was going to be about local uh, energy storage. And uh, I mean, with vehicle to grid, you've kind of jumped to jumped to another one ahead there again. But do, do you think, you know, there's, we, we've had a number of podcasts recently where we're talking about um, battery storage on the grid and, and actually hydrogen storage to support um, the grid. And there was the, the again, the sort of distribution level storage, so local storage to support yep. stuff, but then some much bigger um, projects which are kind of tied to the generation generators uh, for storage at that level. Do, mm-hmm. do you see much of that kind of thing happening in the UK with, with storage coming onto the, the grid? Is, is... Yeah, well, there, there, there are storage projects already on the grid as well, and there are lots of applications for people to connect storage. Battery, of course, is is the most popular mm. at, at the moment, and you you see them at all levels. So you see them in into the you see them in people's homes. So you even go beyond that, you see people put in uh, batteries in the home. Generally, they've got solar as well. So there's that twinning really even at the local level. So if you've got generation that is 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 variable or intermittent, you have that natural kind of um, need to try and twin it together because you want to use that energy when you need it. So you've got that kind of local element. Then absolutely you go onto the distribution level as well, and you see it even onto the transmission as well. So kind of real grid scale batteries, yeah. and we do see more of them twinning, uh, particularly with solar as well. So that that's the most popular as well because obviously solar, uh, obviously struggles to meet peak because peak is winter and when it's dark yeah. as well. So that allows them to kind of operate into that yeah. um, market as well. Interestingly, on the other side, if you go to kind of offshore wind as well, it's interesting you mentioned hydrogen as well. So you are seeing people starting to think about that. Let's create twin hydrogen production, so a kind of form of energy storage by turning it into hydrogen, twinning that with offshore wind as well. So one situation, if you have large quantities of renewables, so people, a lot of people worry about, well, what if the wind's not blowing? So that's a discharge in your storage. But the other side of this, what if it really is blowing, but we don't need that demand? So yeah. imagine like a windy... Uh, night a uh, weekend as well so you simply you not have that level what could we do with it and the production of hydrogen seems a, a a kind of natural solution to some people as well so let's produce lots of hydrogen and then we can use that for either heating or yeah. um, for transport that you can't electrify so if you're talking fuel cells or actually maybe even putting into power stations and kind of burning cleanly yeah. there if you want that kind of peak electricity matter so absolutely we've seen storage um up and up and down the grid as well to, to either help balance it i think you more and more of it you're going to see it from the kind of the energy storage point of view rather than the, the balancing of that yeah of course the big ones you i, I should always mention you would have large scale storage you have pump storage already existing yeah. on the system so you can see things operating like that that really kind of help manage those peaks and troughs in the, in the electricity system uh yeah I, I, that was always um it's like high school uh, geography there pumped just <laughs> being yes. How many, is there a couple of those in the UK? That's basically a reservoir where they pump water up to a reservoir yep. and then release it. Um, is there one or two of those in the UK? There are large ones. I think there are around three of them. So three, yeah, okay. you, you're right yeah. in your... Um, the, the big one will be in Wales is to Norway because that's a yeah. one that often gets uh, mentioned. But there are a couple in Scotland and a small uh, smaller yeah. scale project as well. People are looking at that as well. So is it economically kind of viable? So if you do have this big swing... In energy prices, could you even see more of those 
uh, be built as well. But basically, it does exactly the same thing. So when, when there's lots of energy, it pumps the water up. Yeah. And when it's low, it kind of pumps them back down again. So all these energy stories basically have the same principle. They need some differential between the, the energy price to make it uh, viable. And renewables are kind of the thing that's kind of motivating the kind of that next boom, if you like, mm. like in storage as well. So if you can then manage yourself, so this is the local one that you say, then that's a beneficial to you. So you have a control of that. And then there's the grid one on top of that that looks to kind of control the whole system as well. So yeah. there's those kind of tiers that you talk about. Yeah, I've, I've, I've come across a few people uh, with larger energy consumption and they've maybe as a company installed um, combined heat and power or solar mm -hmm. systems but then they're then now starting to put battery storage in their um, you know factories or industrial sites to uh, basically so they don't have to sell because it can effectively they don't get much money when they sell their surplus energy from their local renewable system onto the grid. So they're trying to mm -hmm. keep that and use it themselves rather than having to buy energy in um, and and pay for it. So that that's a, you know, there's, there's this kind of like pan, we, we're, getting, we're getting into renewables now, but there is this kind of panacea view of, you know, every house in the country has solar panels, has a bit of battery storage and effectively is self-sufficient for um for power so it doesn't really need the grid and i think in is it in, in some parts of california they've had a real problem because there's so much solar and and particularly yep. domestic solar that um essentially it's almost like bankrupted the, the power companies and stuff because there's there's all this solar about and people aren't buying the power mm. and you know it's causing lots of uh, or has did in did cause lots of challenges do you, do you see that as a you know, in, in your kind of future scenario planning, is is that, you know, m more of that kind of thing in the UK where you'll have isolated like local power generation, local consumption, and it doesn't ever really go outside of that? Is there going to be more of that or do you not really see that as being a thing? I, um, I think, yeah, I, I think we can't, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be bold and say you're probably not going to see the California type situation just because of the, the, the different weather. <laughs> so, but you, yeah. you, did, you did see a big, you saw a big boom in solar. It has slowed down a little bit in recent years, but you, you, you have seen that um, as well. So, yeah, you're certainly going to see smaller scale generation. So certainly as the technology improves and the cost of solar comes down and the cost of batteries come down, it is tempting to try and manage and, and, and be self-sufficient on there as well. The one thing that we, we always note there that that's that maybe not for everyone and maybe not practical for everybody to do in in, in terms of costs or accessibility or yeah. uh, whether you're a vulnerable customer, for example. So there is that kind of wider point to think about as well, that if, if you have that as well, if you took your house totally off grid as well, yeah. then it's great for your self-sufficient. But did you want that opportunity to maybe trade that energy with somebody else? And that's got to go through a, a network to somebody else as well. So I think we kind of see that as a slight kind of reshaping about what, what that national, what the national grid does of so moving it from maybe not from so much from large power stations down to homes, but maybe shifting it from home to home if those homes are on the other side of the, yeah. Uh, uh, of the country as well there and then more on those demand opportunities as well so more on transport and more on heat as well so a little slight rebalance so you can see kind of more demand lower down the system yeah. more generation down on the system as well but there, there will still be those occasions where you need to move energy from one part of the country to the other so imagine yeah. it's sunny in the south 
and or windy in the north and you kind of want to shift this <laughs> I, I know i know yeah. I, I, I plucked that idea out of, yeah. out of, of course could be the other way around i'm already so reeling from your suggestion that it's you know sunnier in california than it is in the uk <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's about that that kind of that still that transfer of energy well so yeah i, I think you you still need the idea that every everybody could become self-sufficient i don't Quite get. I think there are some people who could do that, or some people that could be sufficient yeah. 80 90 percent of the time, and then you have the the grid there for that remainder part of time. Of course, that does kind of raise questions about if if you're using the grid less, how, how what's the best way to pay for that, and the, yeah. what's the best way to manage that as well. And that's a that's a that, that's a big discussion to have. That's one for governments and kind of regulators yeah. to work out who ends up paying for infrastructure as well. So that's a that's a big question that you have as well. So. If you're building infrastructure for electric vehicles, who 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 should end up paying for that bill? Yeah. Is it the individual? Is it taxpayers? Is it bill payers as well? So you, you end up in these kind of you end up in that kind of discussion. Uh, however, you kind of look at this. Yeah, it's it's good and it's interesting because the, the the solar was really getting some pace, and then obviously the the sort of subsidies and and stuff changed for it. So the, like residential solar has kind of slowed down now quite a lot, but I, I, I'm hearing a lot people talking about it coming back and and particularly for for industrial so like being you know sort of campaigns to retrofit factories and stuff with with solar which is all you know seems to make a lot of sense got a lot of roof roof space but then the big new renewable energy really because the cost of it has been offshore wind but particularly yes for us and that is i mean it's like well it's it's a big power station effectively although it's sort of a bit more spread out and in the water. How do you, does the national grid have to, I, must, I mean, how do you deal with that? Do you, <laughs> where do you... I, that, that, that feels like that could have been an entirely different uh, new podcast on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're right. That, that, that is a, 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 a really big challenge. So, I mean, the, the, the falling price for offshore wind has been kind of quite amazing. I think even five, five years ago, people wouldn't have um, predicted predicted that as well yeah. and of course in this country we're, we're, we're blessed with wind yeah. in terms yeah. of especially in the north sea as well so yeah what that does it kind of you kind of have you concentrate all your wind kind of in the north uh north sea into the kind of north of the country as well so what you need to do the challenge is getting that all onshore and then back into the grid as well because um you mentioned lots of these ones uh, together then they, they need to be potentially joined up some kind of coordination yeah um of getting them on 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 shore as well, so there there are some big challenges there. And there was a recent announcement um, by the government of an ambition of forty gigawatts of wind by twenty thirty. So for um, uh, for for a benchmark there, we have around ten gigawatts on the system as well. So that's a quadrupling okay. of what you have on the system at the moment, and the kind of offshore winds that you're looking at. So these are these are, these are not the kind of ones where you. You turn up in the beach and you can you can almost touch the winter but these ones are miles and miles yeah, yeah. out shot and these are absolutely phenomenally tall structures uh, uh, as well there where it's almost perpetually windy there so you're absolutely maximizing the life yeah. out there and of course the challenges of then getting that energy to shore are, are quite mean so there is a lot of work that needs to and, and to happen there on renewable energy i'm sure you could have a whole i'd say a whole separate podcast talking about renewable energy and offshore wind in particular that would be a good and good topic from from national grid's point of view i'm guessing you don't get involved in putting the cables into the sea that like that would be the responsibility of the the whoever's building the wind farm to to uh yeah so yeah so the the, the without without getting too much into the so 
when currently, and this is the current regime and regimes come yeah. and go, of course, um, if you build, if you wanted to build an offshore wind farm, you, you'd basically build it to the shore. Okay. That would be what you'd need to build. And then you'd, you'd get a connection okay. on, onto there. So there's a set. So in between where the national grid finishes at the beach, yeah. if you like, then there is another, it's still, it's still kind of classified as transmission, but it's a separate kind of offshore transmission to take it then to the wind farm. So that's a kind of separate piece, which is owned by a, a separate a business yeah. there, but they're kind of built in um, one unit. So you build your wind farms and then you build your connection. Yeah. Yep. So no, we don't, we don't have people waiting <laughs> out to, 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 uh, to see, unfortunately. But again, people are thinking about that whole regime. Does that make sense about connecting each individual wind farm on, or do you have a little bit more of a kind of coordinated effect? Could you even maybe see them being coordinated with other European countries as well? So you could even imagine some kind of big mesh of uh, of, a, of a North Sea grid as yeah. well, whether that's a, a reality because that's lots of parties to get involved. But these are the things that are being <laughs> talked about at the moment as, as solving these problems. Well, you know, European politics uh, always, you know, dead symbol always works. Um, actually, up here in the, where, where, where we are based in the north of England, um, we do have a high power interconnector that goes out does it go to Norway? So in Blythe, where the old power station was, there's a high voltage DC, I think, um, mm. connection point. And it always sort of struck me, I don't know, I don't, I don't, do, that kind of thing, you know, just mentioned it there with the, in the context of wind, but do you, do you see that sort of trading country to country as being mm. something that's going to, there's going to be more of in the future or... I, I think so. I think yeah. The, the, the Norway, you mentioned, gets connections. So there are a couple of connections um, to Norway certainly uh, under construction or being uh, being thought about. So obviously closer neighbours, France, Belgium, mm. uh, Holland, and Denmark are your obvious ones. And then of course on on the, the west coast towards uh, the Republic of Ireland and to Northern Ireland as well. So absolutely, there is an uptake in in interconnection precisely for to for kind of what you said. So if if you have lots of renewable power, then maybe if you if you can't take that within countries so if we can't charge up our electric vehicles and we can't shift our demand maybe we could sell that excess power so let's use norway as an example say norway we, was really windy at the moment norway do you, it wouldn't happen you wouldn't say norway but norway buys buys power say so yeah we'll have the power there yeah. do you know what we'll do is we'll not use our hydro power so they'll turn off their hydro plants and they use our wind yeah. and when the wind dies down we'll go and Norway will go, oh, we got a lot of hydro because we didn't use our hydro yesterday because thanks to your wind. Do you want some of our hydro back? And we'll say, thank you very much. Yeah, It's not quite that cordial how it works, but that, <laughs> that's the kind of idea. And the more countries you have connected, the more options that you have. So there's a wind hydro. You could maybe have wind solar. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna, I, it's yeah. going to be sunny in France and not sunny in the UK, for yeah. example. So maybe you could have that. Or vice versa, sunny in the UK and not sunny in in France, but that's the kind of idea. And the more, yeah. and then they're connected to somebody else. So suddenly you can create chains here. So you could almost say, well, maybe nothing's happening. It's not windy and it's not sunny in France, but maybe it's really sunny in Germany. And then you could run that through like that. So the more interconnection you get, the more options you've got of balancing and trading that energy as well. So that's why people look at um, uh, interconnection there. So it increases your kind of diversity there as well. So if you if you've got a lot of wind or a lot of solar. The more people you can trade that with, the, the more efficient well, that market's going to become. Yeah, because it, it feels like, um, particularly where the costs have gone to now, you know, obviously wind, the, the, like you said, the, the 
decrease in uh, cost of wind generation has it's, it's been massive the last few years. But then um, actually s- solar, I was reading something a couple of weeks ago and um, they were talking about some of the big solar projects. Actually not, I guess not, <laughs> what we said, not in the UK, <laughs> but in uh, Northern Africa uh, yep. and some some parts of Southern Europe. And, and they were reporting exceptionally low solar costs um, now as well. So you, you do kind of see, well, the, the, the point of both of those was that the cost of either wind or solar was actually less than, you know, any other form of generation. So, you know, the, the downside obviously is that it doesn't always blow and it's not always sunny, but if you can get that sort of trading and some storage um, built into it, then from a, just from a purely economic point of view, it feels like we've got, you know, very cheap and clean energy coming because because these things are you know they're there now that you don't it's not going to take massive subsidies or huge um, sort of government uh, programs actually private companies can can put put capital into building these these things so yeah i i guess in your kind of scenario planning that there must be a, a big allowance for lots of new renewable stuff coming onto the grid in the next few years Absolutely. Same when we started our conversation about you can see the planning, you can see the uptake of renewables there as well. So you, yeah. you're planning in offshore wind, you're planning in solar as well, and you're planning in the interconnectors as well. So yeah. um, there are teams that kind of look at kind of um, kind of Europe-wide modelling as well. So what's happening in Europe, kind of modelling that. So where's the power going to come from? So if there are big solar projects in southern Europe, as you say, or big wind projects in in kind of northern Europe as well. So trying to factor that in for a kind of like a whole European market to see what energy flows are going to look like as well. So yeah, absolutely picking picking up on those mm. uh, kind of cheap cheap renewables where it is and say, obviously we're blessed with wind in this country as well. So yeah. you'll see the price of offshore wind go down. So if you're in a very sunny climate, so yeah, the Sahara, North Africa, Southern Europe, like I said, you're going to see those solar prices drive down. Yeah. And you then, you then so you, you will see that kind of filter through as well. So mentioned uh, uh, you've got to see solar back on roof so if the cost of the panel itself starts to get driven down people will buy them subsidy free because they won't need it the calculation and the energy savings will make stuff and people that will then build solar plants uh, just as, as you would build a conventional plant just for the conventional economics as well so yeah. all these investments going on around the world are going to drive your prices of wind so if we put in more offshore wind we're driving that price down then it becomes say economically viable in other parts of the world so this is a kind of big global market that suddenly we found ourselves yeah. in with everyone's kind of driving the price of these technologies down whereas looking at conventional generation that's already had those price reductions yeah it's really difficult to get conventional plants if you like kind of fossil fuel plants any cheaper because they've had all those learnings built in yeah. so they're already out there if anything they're getting more expensive as it gets more uh, costly to deal with the emissions and carbon trading uh, and you know uh, uh, absolutely as well you have the variability of of, of the fuel price yeah. and say so you if you have carbon and carbon trading if you want to fully factor in the price of carbon then that's the cost that you've got to add in as well so i, I absolutely as well so if you're looking for price kind of certainty as well maybe renewables are the, are, are, are the way to go there if you yeah. if you want to kind of of course, you, you swap one variability in the weather for another one, but is that something that you can maybe manage a bit easier? Manage that, yeah. And that, because the other, like, if you know, head, headline big criticisms thrown at the EV uh, contingent is, uh, <laughs> well, you, you know, you, you're plugging your car in and you, you're making your electricity with a dirty coal-fired power station and therefore the CO2 
um, is is no better than a normal car. Um, mm. But I'm, I guess from the conversation we've just had, that it would be fairly safe to say that we're gonna we're actually see that probably the generation side of the grid decarbonize maybe more quickly than the anticipated uptake in EVs. I, I, I would say absolutely. So I, I, I can speak for the UK in different parts of the world. There are, there are different generation pieces. But if we look at the UK, then absolutely the coal generation has fallen drastically in the, in the last 10 years or so from, from then when it was the, the dominant form of generation. So now there's a handful of plants that are kind of almost peaking plants. Yeah. Now they've they're reverted back to them. And you see the increase in wind and solar there. So if you had electric, if you had an electric vehicle for 10 years, so if you were an early adopter of a leaf, say, for example, the, the, you, your car has got cleaner and cleaner and cleaner over the lifetime that you've had it, whereas yeah. you, can't, you can't say that for a conventional vehicle. Um, I, I can maybe plug a national grid app there. I, I'm more just happy Ryan, to send you the details if you want to share it with your, that would be great, your listeners. Yeah. That actually, at, actually lets you kind of track the carbon intensity. So you can see at any point in time what the carbon intensity is. And it gives you little tips about when to plug things in and when okay. not to plug things in. If you look behind that, it'll, it'll it'll point you to a history, and you can see year on year that carbon intensity. So how much carbon goes into the electricity you generate, kind of falling year on year on year as well. So the argument that may have held true maybe 10, 15 years ago to have coal plants, but in the UK that is a that, that's not a not a not, uh, not true. A, a true thing to say. I, I'm trying to think of my diplomatic language <laughs> to say there at the moment. I'm sure it's a falsehood as well, but it's a, it certainly yeah. it maybe was true some time ago, but certainly it's not true now. Okay. And you can be clever when you charge your electric vehicle up, so you can even get it even cleaner by choosing that times when it is there, and you can have the comfort that over the lifetime of your electric vehicle, it's going to get even cleaner as well. So that's yeah. a that's a fantastic thing to think about it when you're if you're if you've got friends out there are sure should i buy an electric vehicle because they've heard those stories yeah show them this app and then you can you okay miss buff those things straight away great yeah so I'll, I'll put a link to the app um in the show notes so so we can share that with people next question uh, you were just trying to be diplomatic there and i'm not <laughs> uh, apologies because i know this can be a bit of a sore subject Quite a few issues in the UK nuclear industry at the moment. Oh, in fact, the global nuclear industry with, I think, people sort of reassessing investments in nu- nuclear. Um, have, have you got a view on that? I, I don't know, like from National Grid or from a personal point of view, do you think nuclear is is going to kind of still be part of the mix or um, is it just, just too expensive? It's a, I suppose from, from, from a National Grid point of view, you're, you if power stations come along and want to be kept into the grid then we're obliged to get them as well so you know there's obviously um Inkley point c is kind of under construction at yeah. the moment and you expect that to come online in in the next couple of years you have your existing fleet as well yeah. and i think we can we're going to see those on the system depending on their age for the next kind of five ten or even even longer this so yeah. nuclear is going to be part 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 of the mix out i don't think anyone's seriously saying well we should we should close nuclear plants down um in terms of that, government seems quite keen on them. And I think this comes to wanting a diversity in generation mix. Okay. They would worry about moving too much towards one form of energy. Same way you wouldn't want just nuclear, you wouldn't want just coal, or you wouldn't want just wind. So there is a, within government, there's a liking of having diversity as well. So something to fall back on if yeah. if it's not windy, they can see that logic um, there as well. In, in terms of costs there, I mean, that ultimately economics will will drive this thing if one yeah. form of generation is cheaper than another then it will run up as well and if you can build a form of generation without government support then yeah. if i'm a government or I'm, I'm a regulator on that part that's 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 a very difficult story to kind of say well actually i i'm going to support one form of industry 
well there's another one here that can, can go on its own so yeah. I, I think I think it will remain part of the mix just because of what you've got on the system and the plant under construction as well I mean it, it's it's, chall- it's challenging for a lot of conventional we, we could have that argument for gas as well could you build a gas power station as well at the moment yeah. my economics would be really challenging to build that at the moment and could I could I pick up a subsidy to build a gas power station I would probably, probably really struggle with that so <laughs> yeah. I, th- I yeah. think I think I think ultimately like a lot of these things it will kind of be economics that will determine that and once people get confidence that the energy mix that they have is resilient and, and, and reliable and cheap and low carbon that's ultimately where you're looking to go to go there as well so whether nuclear remains part of the mix in the long term not too sure but certainly in, in the medium term it's, it's going to be part of the mix there yeah yeah i guess um it, it back to the cost again of you know i think off the top of my head the wind the new the, sort of the new pricing for wind is like half the cost of the um, those the, the the recent sort of nuclear schemes that are coming in. So just the just the simple economics of it. Although, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. So there's there's a there's a lot of stuff there, but but basically, so the the to the initial question. Um, <laughs> being, Where did we get with that? Yeah, well, we we started with. Um, you know the 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 suggestion that uh, you know pe- people always say the grid's going to fall over if we have a mass adoption of electric cars. But I, th- I think what's should be really clear to people is that um, you know National Grid has this more than on its radar and is doing an awful lot of work to plan for different scenarios and mm-hmm. making big investments in upgrading the grid to deal with. Our, our the this new future that's coming with with EVs and and renewables and, and other things, um, and uh, it's it's kind of a, not like not quite nothing to see here, but uh, it's <laughs> it's 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 being managed. We're not going to get any blackouts anytime soon because of electric vehicles. So, so, certainly not. No, I, I think that that that's the one thing to think about it as well. That. I don't want to downplay that. Oh, it's a bit boring and it's a bit business as usual. <laughs> but when, when you, you have the system that is is designed to do that, it's designed to take new forms of demand and new forms of generation in the time. So that's not to say that you don't need to do any investment. That tells yeah. you where the investment needs to do, what that investment looks like, and what kind of timeframes you have around that investment. So there's a different thing to the the grid can cope is uh, that you don't have to do any investment. The group can cope because it has this planning and strategy and, and scenarios that are going around it. Absolutely, there will need to be investment. Again, you can put that down to the local network. There will need to be local investment and national investment as well. I think everyone's aware of that. You can't trans, you can't move from kind of fossil fuels to electric vehicles and kind of expect that no investment will be required. It's about a matter of targeting that right place, understanding exactly what that needs to happen and making sure it happens in the right time. So it's, it's all good planning, unfortunately. So it's a, if, you like, if you like planning and, and, and kind of project management and scenarios, it's kind of your world, but it's maybe not as, it, as exciting as some people make out, unfortunately. Yeah, I can see why the mathematician is very happy in this uh, environment. <laughs> oh, it's, 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 it's brilliant, it's brilliant. <laughs> oh, fantastic, yeah. No, it's, that's, been, uh, that's been absolutely fascinating, Russell. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join me today. No. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and uh hope your listeners enjoyed that as well and enjoy the um the, the links as well to to project rapid and, and and to that app so they can kind of see what the carbon intensity is doing it uh at any one time so it, you do get a little addicted to it just you find yourself just looking at it all the time so just a little word of warning there and I'm, I'm definitely going to be putting that on my phone I, I hadn't you know 
I am a bit of a geek and I do normally have like some I've got some very strange apps on my phone for monitoring <laughs> things but um, I hadn't I'm not actually I hadn't come across that one so that is um, that's definitely going to be one I'm going to get because we've got two uh, two electric cars in our house and um, you know we are sort of careful about when we plug them in um, mm-hmm. so it'd be really helpful to have that information um, real time coming uh, com- coming to us so that'd be, that'd be really interesting so um, yeah thank thanks. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listening for taking the time out to listen to the show today. I hope you've got something valuable from that. Um, don't forget to leave us a rating, um, uh, comment, hit like, uh, subscribe. <laughs> Depending on what platform you're listening on, we're going out on, I think, seven or eight different uh, platforms now from uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, right through to um, YouTube. Uh, no video on YouTube, it's just the audio, but some people uh, like looking, uh, looking at us there. We get quite a lot of comments through the YouTube platform as well. If you've got any questions that you'd like us to pick up in the future uh, and make an episode about, don't forget to send those in as well. And uh, if you're working in the EV space and you're doing something really cool, um, get in touch and uh, you could be on a podcast just like Russell as well. So that's all we've got time for today. I really look forward to speaking to you again soon.